0: You know something, Church? I've been so blessed this week reading God's Word. And I've nothing really theologically deep here this morning, and a lot of what I say you'll already know. But you know something we better revision never does us any harm. Especially when it makes us look again at the price that Jesus paid for our sins. So as you can see, we're going to turn to John 21, verse read from verse 20. Then Peter, turning about, saith the disciple whom Jesus loved following, which also leaned on his breast at supper, and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? And Jesus said unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thy me. Then went this saying abroad among the brethren that, that this disciple should not die, yet jesus said not unto him he shall not die but if i will tarry but if i will that he tarry till i come what is that to thee this is a disciple which testifieth of these things and wrote these things and we know that his testimony is true and there are also many other things which jesus did the which if they should be written every one i suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written amen you know every believer is obviously going to acknowledge that Jesus lives. But you know the reality is that even unbelievers have no choice but to acknowledge that Jesus came and dwelt among us. They might deny His divinity. They might treat His miracles and His works and His wisdoms as myths and as fables. But they cannot deny that Jesus walked on this earth. And you know, we do, in the Word of God, have two main lines of evidence which, which prove this for us, which prove His birth, which prove His life, which prove His ministry, which prove His death, which prove His resurrection, which prove His ascension and His exaltation. But you know, for me, although we have these two lines of evidence, we'll look at in a moment, but the greatest evidence we have is what the hymn writer said. You ask me how I know He lives. He lives within my heart. And like every believer here, we can testify that we don't need historical records to prove something. We don't need great wisdom from scholars to uh, convert us. We know because Jesus has moved in and through our lives. He has answered our prayers. He has blessed us as we have worshipped Him and served Him. But the other two lines of evidence we have is that He fulfilled the prophecies of the Old Testament. And right from Genesis 3 verse 15 through to the uh, many prophecies through to the the minor prophets, Jesus and His first advent are presented to us in types and pictures and in promises. But then we have the historical record of the New Testament and in the Gospels. And in Peter and Paul's epistles and the other epistles, we have the testimony of men and women who seen him, who walked with him, who heard him, who saw his miracles, and most of all, who loved him. And loved him so much that each and every one of them, apart from John, who was exiled on the Isle of Patmos, died a horrendous death. And, you know, that for me would be even more evidence. Why would Peter be crucified And they say there's historical records that he asked to be crucified upside down because he's not worthy to die the death of his Lord. Why would they be beheaded? Why would they be run through with a saw? Why would they be murdered and cut with a saw if there was no Jesus and if they didn't see his miracles and hear his wisdom and believe in him? And so in all honesty, I would present to you that there is an abundance of evidence that Jesus lived and walked in this earth. And from these evidence, these lines of evidence, we are no doubt that no matter what men may say, Jesus lives. In fact, he still lives today. In John 21 verse 24, it says, this is a disciple which testifieth of these things and wrote these things and know that his testimony is true. And so this is what we would call first-hand presentation of evidence. You know, if you were to go to a court and you were to say, well, I heard Pastor Allen say this or I heard Pastor Allen say that, that would be what they call third-party evidence. And in fact, third-party evidence won't be accepted in court. And so, we don't have third-party evidence. We have first-hand evidence here from someone who was there, from someone who wrote down and someone whose testimony was true. And therefore, I want to take the testimony of John this morning from his epistles and show why Jesus went to the cross. And first and foremost, I believe, Jesus went to the cross to be our sin-bearer. It tells us in 1 John 3 and 5, and you know that He was manifested to take away our sins, and in Him is no sin. Our Lord and Savior is our perfect example of all that is pure, of all that is holy, and all that is right. And you know, we can learn from Him and should strive, as it were, to be like Him. But the main purpose of His incarnation was to be our sin bearer. Isaiah, in that beautiful chapter, the prophecy from Isaiah 53, but He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And you know, in my own devotional time, I personalize that. And so can you this morning that know Him as your Savior because he was wounded for my transgressions, and he was bruised for my iniquities. And you know, in John 1:29, Second 2 Corinthians 5, 21, Hebrews 9, 26, and 1 Peter 2 and 4, they all confirm that our sin bearer died on the cross for our sins. Why was he allowed to die on the cross for our sins? Because John tells us in 1 John 3 and 5, in him is no sin. And it was because Jesus was the only sinless one that He could qualify to be your sin bearer. He was manifested in the flesh to take away your sin. And the question this morning is, have you availed yourself of this precious gift from God? Can you actually say this morning that the sin bearer has borne my sins? Because to say that He he is your sin bearer is something you need to do. You first have to acknowledge that you have sinned and therefore you are a sinner. You know, concerning our sins, we can do one of two things about our sins. We can be like Adam when maybe something we've done has come to light, or maybe God has convicted us and brought us to our knees as such. Because you see, when Adam realized that he had sinned and he had been disobedient to God, he tried to hide. And then when God confronted him, what did Adam say? It was the woman you gave me. And we do that. Well, I wouldn't have done it if somebody hadn't have said this, or I wouldn't have done it if somebody hadn't have done that. There's an, a, 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 an attribute, no, it's not an attribute, but there's a, 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 a thing within us, a defense mechanism, that it's someone else's fault. We committed adultery. It was her fault. She came on to me, Lord. It was his fault. He, he pursued me, Lord. Do you know something? It was no one's fault but yours when you give in to sin. And so we shouldn't be like Adam. It's not my fault. Adam had a, 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 a victim nature. Nothing was his fault. Have we got a victim nature? When we do wrong, we have to blame someone else. We wouldn't have done it if they hadn't did this. I think we should be like the psalmist. And I love the psalmist and his psalms because they're so beautiful and so personal. And listen to this. This is someone I would suggest on his knees with a broken heart before God. I said, Lord, be merciful unto me. Heal my soul. Listen, folks. For I have sinned against thee. Again, Psalm 51 and 4. Against thee, Thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. That's the heart. That's the words of a true repentant, acknowledging, taking responsibility for your actions. And as Christians, we need to take responsibility for the things we say, for the things we do. We cannot bury our sins under some blanket of excuses. We've got to confess our sins. And Jesus, when we confess our sins, will forgive us. We read this morning, 2 Peter 3 and 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It's not God's will for you to die in your sins this morning. It's not God's will for you to enter into a lost eternity this morning. It's God's will that He will bear your sins. He will bear your sins. This heavy load that you're carrying, think of it like carrying two very heavy bags, and someone come up, comes along and takes the bags off you and carries them for you. Jesus bears your sins. And this morning there are those that need to call in His name, There are those that need to come back to Him this morning, having maybe gone cold. He is there wanting that none should perish. So He went to the cross to be our sin bearer. He also went to the cross to destroy the works of the devil. 1 John 3 and 8. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that He might destroy the works of the devil. You see, church, Satan is the instigator of all the sin and suffering that mankind has known. It is Him and not God who is the cause of all the sickness, the cause of all the sorrow, the heartbreak, the murders, the wars, the terrorism, everything that has come against us. But the good news this morning is Jesus has come to destroy the works of Satan and to restore all that the enemy has taken from us. And he did this upon the cross at Calvary. You know, it's sin's character to present itself as plausible truth. And that's one of Satan's greatest lies. It'll do you no harm. When we sniff of this little drug or when we drink of this little drink, it'll do you no harm. Addiction is a terrible thing, and it is a work of Satan, and Jesus has come to destroy addiction. Depression, all anxieties, these are the works of Satan in your life, trying to put you down, trying to make you to a, a state where you feel worthless. But Jesus is here this morning to destroy the works of Satan in your life and to show you that you are of great value, such great value that he, God so loved the world that much that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You are of such great value so what shall it profit a man if he gains a whole world and loses his soul? Your soul, your life is more precious to God than all the gold, all the riches, all the Property in this world could offer, and it means nothing to Jesus compared to your life. And Jesus has come to destroy Satan's works. And it was at Calvary that Satan was once and for all defeated. Hebrews 2 and 14. He also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. Mark three twenty seven. <clears throat> no man can enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he will first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house. You know, John 10 and 10 shows us the works of Satan. It says, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy But Jesus steps in to reverse the process and overthrows and destroys all of Satan's work. And what a blessing to be on the winner's side this morning. But I'm asking, are you still on the loser's side? Because in these last days, Satan knows that his days are numbered. And he's therefore doing his best to keep you down to keep you in darkness, to keep men and women in darkness, to keep the young of this land in darkness by telling them the lies that are going about in society today. But Jesus destroys that. And don't worry if you feel Satan's destroying you or destroying a member of your family. Well, Romans 16 and 20 says, "'The God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly.'" Greater is he that is in us, church, than he that is in the world. Amen. Let's trust him because Satan's destiny is set for him. Revelation 20, verse 10. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and forever. So Jesus is destroying the works of the devil And I believe Jesus went to the cross to give us eternal life. In this was manifested the love of God toward us. Because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might have life through Him. You see, because of the entrance of sin, death was inflicted upon the whole human race. And the lie that Satan gave to Eve that day in the garden is a lie that's believed amongst even many Christians today. Thy shalt not die. The fate of men who are still in their sins is death. The wages of sin, Romans 6 and 23, tells us is death. But because we are dead in our sins, therefore we had God who sent His Son that we might receive eternal life through Him. And I've already quoted uh, John 3, 16. Romans 6.23 goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I want you to think about this for a moment. The gift of God is eternal life. Why would God give us eternal life if we have eternal life? If we weren't going to die, then why would God feel it necessary to die on the cross, to pay the penalty for our sin, and then to grant unto us eternal life? The gift of God is eternal life. This is a gift from God. A gift is something that someone gives you. And generally, when you get a gift from God, it's something that you need, something that you haven't got. If you read 1 Corinthians 15, Paul the Apostle said, highlights this for us, when, when the Lord returns, he says something will happen. What does he say? This mortal shall put on immortality. This corruptible shall put on incorruption. Do you have the absolute assurance this morning that you have passed from death unto life? First John 5, 11 and 12 tells us how to get it. This is the record that God hath given us uh, hath given to us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. He that hath the Son hath life And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. You need the Lord Jesus Christ in your life to be granted eternal life. You need to take responsibility for your sins, not just this morning, throughout your life. You need to take responsibility for your sins, confess your sins, and He is just and merciful to forgive you your sins and to grant unto you eternal life. Jesus went to the cross to be the propitiation for our sins. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Isn't that wonderful? Not that we loved God. I don't know about you, but before I became a Christian, I had no thought whatsoever for God. I lived my life the way I wanted to live it, and I was destroying my life, I acknowledge that. But the wonderful thing that we read in 1 John 4 and 10 not that I loved him, but that he loved me, and this is what's been blessing me all week. Because Satan will try and remind me, "Oh, I remember you did this and you did." Th-. You know what? They are covered by the precious blood, and I ignore them. Anything I did in the past is covered by the blood. It's as moved as far as the east is from the west. But it still blesses me to know that God loved me when I had no thought for Him. God loved me when I had a filthy mouth. Couldn't say even a two-syllable word without putting a swear word in between it. But you know something? He loved me, even though I didn't love him. And he sent his son to be the appreciation for my sins. So this means that he not only came to take away our sins, he came to take them away by what? Offering himself as a sacrifice for our sin. You study any foreign pagan religion, whatever way you want to call it, And to enter into paradise to achieve what we would term salvation, you have to achieve something. You have to do some great feat. You have to do some great deed. You have to make some big sacrifice. But you know something to be saved this morning by the Lord Jesus Christ is to be saved by His death on the cross. By His work, not our works. By His work, not our works. He took our sins away by offering himself as a sacrifice for our sin. And he is the only sinless one that ever lived, entirely satisfied and fulfilled the demands of the law. He is the spotless lamb of God, the lamb without blemish. He took your place as a substitute on the cross. And I quote it all the time, I know, but I love that little chorus. I should have been crucified I should have suffered and died. I should have hung on the cross in disgrace. But Jesus, God's Son, took my place. What an offering for sin this morning. What a gift to mankind this morning to think that God took upon himself the form of man, became a man, lived with, put away the attributes of God, and lived as a man, hungry, thirsty, new pain, new sorrow, new mourning. Totally human, totally God, but totally human. And he hung himself on the cross. No one took his life. He gave his life, and he gave his life for you this morning. But because he did that, we need to understand that God hates sin, and sin must be punished, and our debt has therefore been paid in the person of our substitute this morning. He bore our sins on the cross, not his own, Because he was sinless. In 1 Peter 2, 24. Who his own self bore our sins in his own body on the tree. That we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. You know we have this assurance. That Jesus once and for all has dealt with our sins. And we can rest safe and secure in him. Safe and secure. We need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that He died for me. There's no further sacrifices to be made to achieve our salvation. Remember, speaking, I've told you this before also, speaking to a gentleman who told me that when we first give our hearts to the Lord, we're so far away from Him. But as we develop and mature as a Christian, we get closer and closer and closer to God. With respect, You'll be getting closer for an eternity, but you'll not get into the presence of God unless you're covered by the precious blood of the Lamb of God. Do you have this assurance this morning? I have this total assurance this morning that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. He has dealt with the sins of my life, and I can rest secure in Him. And the question is do you have this assurance? He went to the cross to be the Savior of the world. 1 John 4 and 14. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. I believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world, not a select few. That means that his death on the cross as a propitiation of the Lamb is sufficient to save all men everywhere. I believe Jesus is the universal Savior. In Luke 4, 42, the Samaritans recognized him as the Savior of the world. And his death on the cross rescued us from a lost eternity by delivering mankind from their sins. He loves, keeps, and protects us and will continue to do so until he returns as King of kings and Lord of lords. And we need to note that salvation is available and provided for all, But the thing is, it has to be personally accepted. It has to be your choice, a rational choice to say, Lord, I have sinned against thee and thee only, and you will be forgiven of your sins. Because contrary to what some people standing in pulpits will tell us, Jesus is the Savior. The only Savior. There is no other way into the kingdom than through the Lord Jesus Christ. There's many great men who've lived and did great deeds, but they cannot ever atone for your sins or earn you your salvation. There are many other religions in the world, but Jesus is the only way that men may be saved. He is the only door, he is the truth. He is the life, and He is the way. And there is salvation in no other. Acts 4 verse 12. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. We must be saved. We must call upon His name. Romans 10 and 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, shall be saved. No matter how wretched a person you are, or no matter how good a person you think you are, you need saved. And the wonderful thing is you can be saved. There's no sin so great that Jesus' blood doesn't cover it. There's nothing you've done in your life that has been so bad that the cleansing power of the blood of Christ can wash it away. He died once and for all for all sins. So we know for a fact that Jesus came. We now know that he came because of a true and faithful witness in John and the other uh, apostles. We know now that his love for us is, uh, as an individual, he will bless us, he will fill our heart with joy. And peace. As a corporate body, he will bless us when we come together. But you know something? You can enjoy the presence of the Lord wherever you are. If you're driving along in your car, if you're in your sacred place, if you're in your work, wherever you are, when you praise God, you can enjoy his presence. I'll never forget. <laughs> uh don't know why it's come into my head, I'll tell you. Uh, brother Hugh Sloan, myself, and a guy who used to come here called Paul Burns were in the door-to-door team. If you remember this, and Hugh was telling us that the job he was doing at the time, I think you were an electrician's helper or something, and it was boring beyond boring. It was like doing the same thing over and over. And so Hugh said that when he was doing this, he used to sing praise to the Lord and sing the wee hymns and to put the day in for him. And I said, Hugh, at that time I was doing half marathons, and I said, what I do is when I'm running along a road, I sing the little choruses, and it works actually, if you, if you go out jogging, try singing, this is a day that the Lord hath made, it'll get you about half a mile, amen, but then Paul Burns <laughs> said to Brother Sloan, oh, I was worshiping the Lord when I was sitting on the toilet tonight, and you made the mistake of saying, what were you singing, and he says, a horse and rider fell into the sea, so wherever you are, praise God, and God will bless you, God will be there. Churches, many people can, can, can testify here of the presence of God and the delivering power of God. We were sharing Wednesday night about different uh, illnesses we all had in our lives. And when I was told I was in cancer, I had cancer, I was in London Derry. I was up there at a court case, and I got a phone call to tell me I had cancer, and I was just distraught. I didn't, couldn't think. And I got into the car and I said, "Lord." How on earth am I going to drive home? So I put on a crouch, isn't his name? I can't remember his first name, a CD. And he, t- he sang a song about God can do everything. And you know something? It was li- just like someone shone a light into the darkness. Just like someone took a ton of weight off my shoulder. And I drove home praising and worshiping God. And you know something? That's the beauty of the Savior that we serve. He wants to save us and He wants to bless us. He wants to see us through. He wants to be our God and our Savior. And if you don't know Him as Savior, now you know why He came to be your Savior. He came to be your sin bearer. He came to destroy Satan's work in your life. He came to be your substitute to the propitiation of Lamb. And He came to be your Savior. So you've got to acknowledge Him this morning and live. Or ignore Him And perish. Hebrews two and verse three is a very sobering verse. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord is confirmed unto us by them that heard him. As the magicians come back, can I ask you that question How shall you escape if you neglect so great salvation? Someone once asked me, why does God reject people when they don't surrender their lives to him? Well, can I answer that very simply? God isn't rejecting you, you're rejecting God. God rejects no one. But a price had to be paid, a way of salvation had to be made, and God made that way. And if you ignore that, then you're rejecting that, and then you're heading to a lost eternity. And it's a prayer of this church that you indeed, God, will open your eyes and let you see Him as the Lamb who died on the cross for your sins, as the one who wants to bless you, the one who wants to keep you, the one who wants to strengthen you, and the one who wants to give you peace in your heart and in your mind. Let's stand in His presence this morning. Let's worship Him together.